This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. listening to goat talk with the goat doc this is episode 13 and this is going to be another episode focused on breeding i'm going to talk more about what we call advanced reproductive techniques today uh, mostly focusing on ai artificial insemination uh, because that's probably the most like popular and accessible advanced reproductive technique for goats um Yeah, so last week, or a couple weeks ago, we talked about basics of physiology for reproduction and making things happen that way, and now we're going to talk about getting more fancy with uh, advanced techniques and what, what exciting things we can do with breeding our small ruminants. As always, this podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary veterinarian, and I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR with your local vet. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and if you have any questions, comments, things you'd like me to address please always feel free to email me at goatdoccara g-o-a-t-d-o-c-c-a-r-a at gmail.com and uh can follow me on instagram at goat underscore doc and the website is goatdoc.com so i finally (laughs) today uh had a slightly less crazy day of work than the last couple of weeks have been and I uh, finished my breeding plan. A couple of things kind of kicked me in the butt to do that. First all the does have started to be more obnoxious than normal and some of them have started to come into heat. We haven't had the screaming tail flagging waking us up at 5 in the morning yelling heats yet but I'm sure those are coming within the next few weeks and also I uh, was excited that we're going to part with a good number of our does from our herd which is it's like you know it's always like bittersweet but I'm excited that they're going to be going to an, be owned by another vet uh, and they are going to be part of their recipient herd uh, they're working with more advanced reproductive techniques so they're looking for mature healthy animals to receive embryo transfers so that's kind of cool and I like for my uh goats to be involved with cool things and to get to know about what they're doing so it's not always like all like oh they're gonna go be shows oh they're gonna go be family milkers whatever these guys are gonna go hopefully be recipients and just have babies that are gonna be fancy et babies so that's exciting so that made my breeding plan decrease by like 40 percent 
<laughs> which is good. Like that many fewer does to have to figure out who to breed to. And I am fine with that. Uh, it gives us room in our herd to keep some of our AI babies from last year and really start to refine what we're, what we're doing with our herd as a group. So that's exciting for me. And then, you know, looking at my breeding plan, that gives me about half of my does that will be artificially inseminated and half will be live cover from one of our, our bucks. So that gets me that gets me excited about AI, especially. Um, in general, advanced reproductive techniques means like we're we're messing around in there somewhere with the whole breeding process. We're not just picking a doe and picking a buck and putting them together at the right time and having them make babies. We're getting our human hands in there and doing something different. Um, like I said, I'm going to largely talk about AI today. But there's also, like, more advanced techniques than that. A lot of these things are much more well-described and well-developed in the dairy and beef cow industries because there's more money in those industries than in small ruminants in general. Uh, so, like, embryo transfer, uh, eat, which if I say ET, that's what I'm talking about, um, or in vitro fertilization, IVF, those are... Those are more common um, in the dairy and beef industry. Um, I actually had a new client in the past couple of weeks who's doing a fair amount of ET, it sounds like, with his beef cows. So that's cool. Um, some people even lump uh, like pregnancy checking with ultrasound into advanced reproductive techniques. I, that's, that's one of the easier ones, I guess. If you've got an ultrasound, it's a pretty easy skill to learn. But anyway, we'll start by talking about AI. Artificial insemination. I guess first of all, what are the advantages and disadvantages of AI for a goat breeder? Um, the big advantage and why people do this and why I do it is because you can really dramatically increase the genetic diversity of your herd very quickly. You can very rapidly change what your herd looks like with AI. Um, you have access to so many more genetics than you ever possibly could have uh, from, a, from a live buck if you are working with frozen semen. So I that's all I've worked with with my own goats because it's like logistically fresh semen or chilled semen. Those are kind of more of a pain to deal with. You have this finite time where those cells will be alive. And uh, it almost requires just as much like coordinating as a live breeding would. So um, most people work with frozen semen. Um, and once semen is frozen, it is pretty much good forever. I really got into AI the past couple of years since being out of school, and my husband and I bought, made an investment in a tank that was just full of Nubian goat semen straws that some of them were collected and frozen before I was born. So that's really exciting. We call, call them like the old dead guys in the tank. 
Uh, there's a finite amount of those genetics available, and it's it's cool that this animal that was around 30 plus years ago is its genetics are still available to make a baby. Um, so that, by far and away, is like the the big reason for AI. Um, another reason that I've talked with clients about for AI, people who don't want to keep a buck, that's a it's a good it's a good substitute. I would pro- there's there's going to be some challenges of successful AI if you don't have a buck. In my experience, at least, it's because that's going to be the heat detection issues, like we talked about last week. Um, where having a buck around can really tell you when your does are in heat because they will make it clear to him and he will make it clear to you. So that can be a helpful tool. And you may have does that are a little bit less excited and less vocal and less flashy about being in heat if you don't have a buck on the premises. So, yeah, um, if you don't want to keep a buck, and I know a few people that don't keep bucks, and they keep tanks full of frozen bucks, and those, that's fine, you know, that, it works. If you, if you know your does and you're up for heat detection, or you can do, use different hormonal protocols, which I'll touch on a little bit, to sync them, and then you have an idea of when they're going to be ovulating, and then when you can artificially inseminate them, uh, then... That's, that's a viable possibility. Um, the disadvantages to AI are that you have to maintain a liquid nitrogen tank. So you have to invest in a liquid nitrogen tank. Uh, I You can definitely find these things online. Um, there's definitely Facebook groups and Yahoo uh, what are those like Yahoo groups with like the, the listserv things and definitely lots of online trading and buying and selling of liquid nitrogen tanks and goat genetics in the form mostly of semen. Uh, the, the maintenance of a liquid nitrogen tank is not like it's not terrible. You just have to have somebody come and fill up your tank for us, it's about three or four times a year. Uh, we have a pretty big tank. It's the one that we bought with all the, the frozen old dead guys in it a couple years ago. And it holds a charge pretty well. Um, and you just have to make sure that you fill it up regularly and that it doesn't go dry. Uh, see, a liquid nitrogen tank is basically just like very, very well insulated. I think most of them are vacuum insulated. Um so that the liquid nitrogen, which is something like minus 300 degrees uh, in temperature, maintains that cold for as long as possible. The less you mess around with your tank, like the less you are opening and closing it and pulling things in and out of there, the longer everything's going to stay nice and cold in there. So... Like for us, we're going to start breeding in a couple weeks now, and we probably should get our tank topped off again before we start doing that so we don't run low. 
It's all about maintaining a stable, cold environment for your frozen genetics, whether it's embryos or whether it's semen, uh, because that's the any change in temperature to those cells is really what um, decreases their viability. Uh, the most common way that people artificially inseminate goats is uh, transcervical artificial insemination. Um, so basically that means that a straw of semen is introduced into the cervix of the doe. And I'll, I'll probably like get some pictures of this stuff and put it on the show notes. If you've never seen it done, um, you know, there's probably some good videos out there, too, showing how this is all accomplished. And everybody's got a little bit of a different technique. But basically, the semen is thawed, and ideally, in your, your dough that you're artificially inseminating, um, at least it's deposited somewhere into the cervix. Uh, you can even, in your like older multiparous does, uh, get the semen all the way into the uterus with a transcervical approach. Uh, multiparous is a doe that has had more than one pregnancy. Um, so transcervical is probably the most common way to do this. Um, you can also, you know, introduce the semen into like the cranial vagina, which is like not into the cervix yet, but close. Um, or if you, like I said, if you get it all the way up in there, you can get it all the way into the uterus. I've, I've done it. It's kind of wild. Um, and then there's also surgically, uh, small ruminants can be laparoscopically artificially inseminated. So that involves heavy sedation or anesthesia and a laparoscope and uh, making an incision in the uterus and inserting the, the semen, or you can do embryo transfer this way too, uh, the semen or the embryo directly into the uterus. Yeah, so basically we're, we're taking the buck somewhat out of the equation and introducing semen in a different way. Uh, there's also, like, the mechanics of the whole thing, I think, with small ruminants are just, they're, like, a little bit more technically challenging than, uh, like, cows, for example, because in cows you can rectally manipulate the cervix so for me that would be putting my left hand in the cow's rectum and grabbing the cervix which would be ventral below the rectum uh, and then you can feel and move the cervix around and wiggle it around so you can really get your AI gun that's what it's called it doesn't look like a gun at all it's like a long skinny tube within a tube that's like a little plunger that pushes the semen into the cervix um, so you can feel where you are essentially you've got one hand you've got things in between but you can feel where you are manipulating the the straw of semen into uh, where you want it to be essentially uh, in goats and sheep you don't have that ability so 
We mostly use uh, little speculums, and uh, there's a whole bunch of different options out there. It's basically a tube that has a little hole in the end, and that's introduced into the doe's vagina, and then you look through it with a little light, and you find the cervix, and then you're kind of blindly manipulating your... Uh, your gun within a sheath to get get it into like I said like at least into the cervix sometimes you get all the way to the uterus um, a little I'll, f- I'll find some good pictures of anatomy too for this episode because I think that helps visualize what you're doing uh, if you look at the cervix of a doe Uh, The cervix is like what's protecting the uterus, basically. It closes all down uh, during a pregnancy or during, like, in between pregnancy. Basically, the only time it opens up is during estrus, and it's going to open up just enough to facilitate semen, sperm, to get up into the uterus and find an egg. The, um, but most of the time it's closed to protect that sterile environment. The, the cervix of a doe is like it's like a few inches long, um, I guess depending on the size of your doe. I'm talking about like your dairy does, your full-size dairy goat breeds. Um, and the inside of it is like, uh, we call them rings. So it's kind of like... Uh, kind of like wavy rings or if you it's it's a wiggly canal to get into the uterus um it's narrow and it's not it's not a straight shot basically um your young virgin does or like second freshening does like the, the does that haven't had as many babies are in my experience going to be a little bit harder to artificially inseminate because they've got this tight little cervix that has not been stretched out over multiple kiddings or lambings um, the anatomy of the cervix of the ewe compared to the doe is even a little bit more tricky to navigate uh, transcervically with uh, for artificial insemination for transcervical artificial insemination uh, just because the anatomy of the cervix is a little bit different Um, it's a little bit the rings of the cervix and the sheep are a little bit differently stacked Um, they're they tend to be directly opposing each other rather than the doe which tend to be kind of on a diagonal so you almost feed your straw or feed your gun back and forth before uh, with a with a doe where with a you you can kind of end up in a, a blind end and not really have a good idea where you're going. I do know some producers who artificially inseminate sheep uh, transcervically and seem to have a fairly good success rate. Uh, when I first learned about AI in small ruminants, the kind of consensus with the vets who were teaching that class was uh, lap AI, so laparoscopic AI for sheep was really the way to go, and there's definitely people out there who do a lot of lap AI and are very efficient at it and get really good conception rates that way. Um, yeah, so you're going to get your your semen in there, you're going to navigate the cervix, and then you're going to deposit it. 
Uh, the I mentioned a little bit about the types of semen that are used. So, like I said, most commonly is frozen semen, and that's frozen not in your regular freezer. That's frozen in liquid nitrogen, and it's real, real, real cold. It's like cry. It's cryogenically frozen. It's going to be real cold to. Um, maintain it basically indefinitely as far as we know as humans any of our genetic material that we're freezing whether it's animal or human to the best of our knowledge that stuff's good forever as long as it stays cold you should be able to thaw it and then it's good to go which is pretty wild Um, i mentioned a little bit about chilled semen or fresh semen meh you know like you can you can do that you can like go collect a buck down the road and then bring it home and AI your dough. Sure. Um, and I, I, in the absence of other other factors that I can't really think of <laughs> right now. Um, Maybe you've got a doe that's really stubborn and she's like, no, I'm only going to be bred by this buck over here and that's not the one you want to breed her to. Then you could, like, go collect your other buck and artificially inseminate that doe if she's really being stubborn. I've definitely heard of people having to do that uh, because the does can be a little bit particular about who they would like to have be their boyfriend that year. Uh, aside from issues like that, uh, I, I don't really have a, a great reason of fresh or chilled semen use um for me a lot you know you do have to consider biosecurity for these things uh there's not a lot of info out there about uh transferring things like CAE or CL via frozen semen to the best of my knowledge I should probably do a search on that and see if anything's changed lately but as usual because goats are a minor species it's not there's not a ton of money or research energy put into them um some of the newer uh more more recently over the years I've seen the buck catalog more people will test test for biosecurity things and post those results because people want to see those want to see that information but really like most of the time if you're going through the trouble of having a buck collected and frozen like you probably are gonna do your biosecurity screening let's let's be honest here like why would you go through all the trouble to save that genetics and not know what the status of that buck is uh, let's see, I do have some notes here. Oh, uh, one other thing to consider about the anatomy of the doe. Um, like I mentioned, your your younger does are smaller and they got these little tight cervixes. Um, the, the small breeds, like your dwarf, Nigerian dwarf goats, pygmy goats, they're also probably going to be a little bit more challenging to AI just because they're little. People certainly do it, and you certainly can do it, but uh, it might might be a little bit more of a challenge. When I first started breeding goats, I had no idea about any of this stuff, and uh, I remember talking with my goat mentor on the phone the first year that we were like, oh, let's try to breed this doe that we bought, and it was like 
January or something like that and we were like oh we can't just AI her and she was kind of like lol no <laughs> um, most people in our strategy for AI is that we try to do our AI breedings early in our breeding season so I don't want babies before March so I won't start breeding before October um, but then we get to like early October and those does that I want to AI start to cycle and I'm going to breed them. And there's a couple reasons for that. The heats in the beginning of the season tend to be a little bit more pronounced. The does tend to be a little bit more obvious about it. They tend to be a little bit more um, like on the clock as far as that 21 day coming back into heat, at least in my experience. Um, and then if you let them go and you don't breed them as you get into like January, February, they're probably a little bit more quiet about it. It's a little bit harder to tell and you may not be having as many ovulations per heat um, as the days start to get longer. So you get past December 22nd or whatever, the winter solstice and the days start to get longer. So you start to lose that melatonin and all of that cascade of hormones that we talked about last time. The, the impulse to have estrus behavior and then ovulate is less uh, because those daylight hours start to get longer. So that all kind of makes sense from a physiologic standpoint as far as when you want to AI. The other reason for us is more practical, and that is because we've got, we're going to breed about 28 does this year. I'm going to AI probably a dozen, I think, 12 to 14. And it's great if those AI breedings take, uh, but we are also uh, producing dairy, so we need those does to be bred. I might AI them twice, so let's say somebody comes into heat on October 1st and I AI her and it doesn't take and then she comes into heat again on October 22nd and I AI her again and she doesn't take so then that would put me at like November 12th or 14th or something like that around there probably closer to the 12th I'm bad I need a calendar um, but so then she's in November and I still have time to just put her in with my buck and get her bread because she needs to be pulling her weight and she needs to be making milk the next year. Um, so that's kind of a good segue into talking about why, like, why would AI fail? Um, AI is... Like, you can get pretty good conception rates, and this is this is probably what people talk about the most when you're talking about artificial insemination in goats. Um, like, how, how do you do it, and what's the timing, and what's your success rate? Um, it's easier for an artificial insemination to fail uh, because it's basically like a numbers game. Uh, you are working the most common semen straws are a half a milliliter of semen so you're looking at and your your uh, semen processors there's a couple of them out there they'll like count the semen as they're processing it so you're, you're sure you're getting a good collection and I wrote down some numbers here so um, 
there's different there's different papers and kind of different opinions on out there about like what's an adequate number of semen per milliliter but basically you have like billions of sperm in an, an ejaculate like in a, fre- a fresh buck ejaculation um the the numbers that i got i you know these few, i'm sure there's some different numbers out there but you're talking like two to six and a half billion sperm per milliliter of ejaculate during the breeding season um Ejaculate is usually like a little less than one to two milliliters. So at a minimum, you're looking at probably like one and a half billion sperm to 12 billion sperm per ejaculation. So like that is a crazy number of sperm cells to be trying to fertilize your one to five ova that or maybe even six i've heard does having six babies which is wild um so to fertilize all of the what however many eggs are present from the ovulation the um so it's it's a numbers game you're you're billions of cells in there and you've got pretty darn good odds that at least one to five of them is going to make it to those eggs So then you're talking about artificial insemination and you're already talking about um, like a decreased number of sperm because you have a finite amount of semen that you can fit in one of those little straws. So like I said, the straws are usually a half a milliliter. So already from, you're already dividing your number in half. So from two to six and a half billion, you're down to one to three and a quarter billion. So that cuts you down by 50%. Um, And then you've got preparation and handling of the semen while it is being processed. There's, like I said, there's services out there that do this. They, like, travel around and collect bucks, which is pretty awesome. Uh, In New England, we don't get a ton of this. If I go on those websites and look at... um, like that they'll usually like post in the fall like oh we're going this is our route contact us and get on our schedule and we'll collect your bucks and it's it's kind of sad that up in new england we don't have a lot of this it's something that i should learn to do and maybe i can offer that service someday in the future but uh they go around and they're really good at it they know what they're doing and they make sure that your collections are worth freezing basically Um, I think that's the way to go, honestly, if you want your bucks collected, is to have someone come to you. I, when I was in vet school, I brought a couple of bucks down to the clinic, um, down to the school clinic, which was a hall, and, like, they don't, they're not ready to perform when they've been through that stress like it's much better for them to be in their home environment and comfortable and being obnoxious bucks and wanting to provide you with semen rather than being stressed out and being like where the heck am I what's going on why am I what am I doing here um it's uh that's that's my recommendation is if you want your buck collected have somebody come to you rather than bringing your buck somewhere unless he's going to go there and stay for like two weeks and then he's probably got time to relax and chill out and uh 
get back into his groove before you ask him to provide you with some semen. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Like, you can you can bring the doe to the buck, like I was talking about last time. Like, you can bring the doe to the buck, and if she's an experienced doe and she's in heat, she's going to be like, yep, let's do it. But if you bring the buck somewhere else, he's like, oh, my God, what do I do? <laughs> and it's, it's totally, totally what happened, at least to me. And I'm sure, you know, some are, some are different than others, but your stress level is going to play a role in the quality of your uh, collection there so I would I would uh, be wanting to have the collector come to you anyway moving on um, so then when the semen is processed it's also uh, has to be what extended uh, there's different recipes for extender out there basically extender is like nutrition to help the cells survive um, and also there's different stuff that goes in the extender that helps facilitate the freezing process if I remember correctly I've got a paper somewhere by one of my vet school professors who's a theriogenologist uh, about his protocol for freezing buck semen and uh there's, there's usually some kind of protein and there's some kind of like uh, compound to help facilitate that freezing process. So so your volume is diluted then. So then if you're down to like half a billion uh, semen per straw, you know, like I said, you're dividing it in half just based on volume, or even if you're down to a billion, then you're diluting it down with your extender, um, and I was finding, uh, like, you're extending concentration, and then you're getting about down to, like, 40 to 120 million, so that, that step right there is significantly decreasing your sperm concentration per straw or per any volume because you're having to mix it with this extending stuff and like 40 to 120 million still is you know sounds like a lot um but not when you're compared to like 12 billion of your fresh ejaculate um and then you go through this whole freezing process and I, you know, I think it's reasonable to expect that half of your sperm are going to die between freezing and then thawing and getting into the cervix or the vagina or the uterus, wherever they go, um, that, that process is traumatic to the cells and a good chunk of them won't survive. So then you're down to like 20 million. So... I mean, it still sounds still sounds pretty good, like 20 million cells to try to find those one to five eggs, but the, the numbers are just thousands of times better with a fresh ejaculate with live cover um, than your, uh, your frozen semen is ever going to be. So that is like the big, the big reason of uh, why why AI is in general less successful than live cover. 
I mean, the other thing is live cover, you know, you're like, oh, I'm going to breed this doe to this buck, and depending on what the doe is doing and what the buck is doing and what the doe likes, like, if she's in there yelling her head off and we don't want to listen to her, sometimes we just put the doe in with the buck and we're like, right, here's your have at it until you're sick of him. And we, we have, like, the luxury to do that with live cover. Um, and sometimes if the doe is, like, not that into it, if she's young and she's nervous, like, we'll let him cover her a few times and then we'll separate them and do it again in the morning. Um, we generally live cover our does about every 12 hours until they're out of heat. So then, like, that's crazy, too. Like, that's a crazy amount of more semen, more sperm that's available for those eggs. Um, you know, if it's 6 billion sperm per ejaculate, or even if it's 2 billion sperm per ejaculate, and then if she's in heat for 36 hours or something like that, like, that's, like, three times that she's going to get covered in that like once every 12 hours for that period and we just tripled the number of sperm that are available to fertilize those eggs so uh that's that's another that's another you know addition of just numbers for being in favor of live cover um so yeah the um the timing is really like the the big part of AI and knowing your does, knowing when they're going to be in heat and what to do with that uh, is kind of the, the critical factor. There's And different people have different opinions on the timing of things. The timing is important because you have a window of ovulation and then time for the eggs to travel down to the uterus and the sperm to travel up into the uterus and you want those things to both be alive at the same time the semen like in a live cover you've probably got like a few days before like probably two solid two to three days the those sperm are going to be the the buck ejaculates into the anterior into the cranial vagina he doesn't get all the way up into the cervix um but he um so those those sperm have to navigate through the cervix and that like it takes a while you know they're real small and they've got to travel this distance of a few inches so that's that's a journey and takes a while um, so they've got you got like a few days of them being or hanging around in the vagina in the cervix and hopefully a good number of them make it up into the uterus and the same thing with your thawed frozen semen though albeit like very very many less sperm are going to make it to the uterus or basically even survive the whole thing um the you know you've got like a couple a couple of days probably i've i always check the um the viability of the semen i use after iai a doe on the uh 
on a microscope to see what those guys are doing. Some people like to check it before, but I really, I'm a little, probably a little bit more paranoid about semen handling. And my goal with the semen is to get it out of the tank and thawed and into the dough within like a matter of minutes, like five minutes or less is, is probably my goal. Um, it's that controlling the temperature and not subjecting those cells to big temperature swings is really a big part of what I'm trying to do there. Um, but then afterwards, there's usually like a little drip of thawed semen left in the straw and I'll drop that onto a slide and look under the microscope and see what they're doing. And then like I've looked, I've put the slide on the microscope and then I've looked like hours later or like the next morning or something like that. And they're still wiggling. I feel kind of sad for them. Those guys that are on the slide, like they don't get to, to fulfill their, (laughs) their destiny. I feel sad for them, but, um, it's a good testament to like the viability of the sperm and how good that collection was and how nicely it was handled. If you look like the next day, like 12, 24 hours later, and you can still see those guys wiggling around. That's good. Especially if it's sitting like in my house, it's like 65 degrees. And if they're still trying, that's great. Cause inside the dough, while it's not like a hospitable environment, um, if you've ever watched like that, what's that movie that I, I won't be able to remember the name of it, but um, I think I'll remember, like, in junior high, they make you watch the video of, like, this is how humans are conceived, and this is what the cells do, and I just remember thinking about, like, all the the female's immune system is, like, this is foreign, the, the semen is foreign, the sperm are foreign, we need to kill it. Like, it's crazy that anything ever gets pregnant. Uh, <laughs> but, uh... The, uh, yeah, so, I'm sorry, I got off on a tangent there and lost my train of thought a little bit. What was I talking about? Oh yeah, so like the, the, at least those, those cells that are, you know, they're not on the cold slide in my cold house on the microscope they're in like a warm environment which is much more hospitable and conducive to living uh and they're still squirming on that slide like the next day that's awesome so the guys that are in that goat's cervix should be cranking um yeah So timing of timing of AI, what I tend to do, and this is kind of like a cow rule too for artificial insemination. The whole thing with dairy cows is like very well described and very like large dairy herds of cows have like the ones that are shooting for maximum efficiency and therefore maximum profitability in their animals have really good breeding programs with really tight protocols so they can get their cows bred and uh, be maximizing their efficiency so their business runs well. Cows are a little easier because they are um, not beholden to the seasons the same way that goats are. But anyway, so I'll get in, I'll probably get into that a little bit later. My 
my deal, like I think I said, is like we call it the AMPM rule. And this is the rule that if the dough is in heat in the morning, then I'm going to AI her in the evening. And the strategy here is like trying to overlap those windows of the like couple of days of maximum semen sperm viability and the eggs getting to the uterus. So if you look back in the show notes at those graphs of what the hormones are doing during the dose estrus. So you have your estrogen increasing and then you have your LH increasing. Estrogen if you remember is what is going to be dictating that estrus behavior. So the obnoxious flagging and yelling and I need to be bred now behavior and then the LH is what's going to be triggering the actual ovulation so there's like this little bit of lag where the dough is going to be in screaming heat and then it's just a little bit later that she's actually going to ovulate so you want to be AIing just like a little bit later than your screaming heat the and it's it's all about trying to get get that egg and those sperm in there at the same time. Uh, the AMPM rule has worked well for me. I try to not think about it too much because I'm always busy. And last fall when I was breeding, like the, a good number of does, more does than I had AI bred before in my herd. Um, like when I started to mess around with it, that's that's the does that didn't take. And I talked to my husband about it, and I was like, I need to stop messing around with this and just be like, in heat in the morning, breed in the evening. In heat in the evening, breed in the morning. And that's what we did. And we bred like 11 or 12 does AI last year, and I think we got seven of them to take. So I was pretty happy with that. Like that's a pretty good rate of... Uh, of conception from AI for me. And those are all natural heats too. Um, so that was nothing that was, was timed for us. I think I talked a little bit last time about knowing when the dough is in heat. And we start to, in October, like take one of the bucks and kind of parade him past the dough barn and see for those does that are a little bit more quiet about when they're actually in heat that's a good indicator for us that oh she is actually in heat or she's coming into heat because she's acting a little bit interested or she's like climbing the gate and jumping all over the other does trying to get to the buck um so teasing with a buck can be a useful tool to help with timing um the other thing to look for is uh, the color of the mucus and the consistency of the mucus that's in the vagina. So that's like you go in there and you get your speculum. You're like, I think this dough might be ready to AI, but I'm not sure. And you go in there with your speculum and some of these doughs will just be like, okay, and there's a giant glob of mucus and... <laughs> Um, the, the consistency of that mucus can also be a clue for timing. 
uh, you're looking the in earlier heat the mucus tends to be more clear and watery and then as it progresses it tends to turn a little bit cloudy like a little bit white cloudy and more viscous so it'll like string and hang um, and uh, sometimes I'll, I'll AI a dough and then pull the speculum out. And if I get like a big, long string of mucus, this sounds, sounds disgusting. But I'll be like, oh, yeah, that, that timing was right. Um, and the, like I said, the color is like a little bit hazy. It's not really white. Like some doughs will develop like a white, thick mucus at the, at the end of their heat. Um, and that has to do with the progesterone increasing from the formation of the corpus luteum from the CL and then the, the body's like preparing for a possible pregnancy so it's thickening that mucus in the cervix it's making a mucus plug uh, so you well, I'll talk about that in an episode when I talk about like getting ready for kidding and pregnancy and stuff like that but like a mucus plug will develop in the cervix because it wants to protect that sterile environment so that mucus gets really thick so stuff can't get up in there and possibly compromise the pregnancy. Um, so if you get like really white, cloudy, thick mucus, then you're probably kind of late. The other thing I look for up there, and it can be useful, like your dome might not like it too much if you're like, okay, time to get up here and I'm going to look at your cervix again um, multiple times during a heat cycle. But um, you can really see sometimes like the you find the os of the cervix so that's the opening you can really see the the difference as the dough gets into like really like prime ai timing for her heat cycle versus like a little bit too early uh, if you find that cervical os and it's closed down it's probably a little too early or a little too late but when you get the timing right you can really see it and you can get your um your sheath of your for your AI gun right in there and that helps you to seat it and then you can kind of wiggle it around so the cervix is open it's opened right up for those sperm to get in there uh, like I just mentioned I definitely tend to breed off of natural heats uh, kind of like I've got the luxury to do that uh, I never go anywhere I'm always home at night <laughs> or in the morning like it's just the nature of the business that we have like we never go anywhere so I'm always home and I'm always at the beck and call of these does uh, whatever the reason and in the fall the reason is that it's time to breed so if they're in heat in the morning and I go to work and I have in the back of my head all day oh I get I get to go home and AI this doe um, timed AI is another a whole nother thing I don't know if I should get into it too much in this episode uh, but I'll see where I get right now uh, so we have different ways of manipulating the doe's reproductive cycle with different hormones for different reasons we have artificial um, uh, GnRH uh, so we have that. We have uh, a drug that's a prostaglandin. So basically that um, is one of the precursors to cause uh, luteinization, which uh, is 
getting rid of, or sorry, not luteinization, uh, luteolase is a prostaglandin. That's one of the things that causes the CL to regress. Um, and that, that happens either like at the end of pregnancy when there's a, a viable kid happening or it happens um, if there's no pregnancy and the dough is going to start to cycle again. Um, so we have that. We have these things called CEDRS, which is C-I-D-R-S, um, and that stands for Controlled Internal Drug Release. Um, those are available for cows and for small ruminants. I think the small ruminant ones are technically really only labeled for sheep, but people use them in goats all the time. And those are a progesterone implant, so that's a thing that goes in the vagina and it releases a controlled amount of progesterone um, consistently over time. So we can use those things to manipulate the reproductive cycle of the dough and try to get her to be in heat when we want her to be in heat. There's a bunch of different protocols out there. You can try to short cycle does with, uh, with this stuff. You can try to stimulate does to have more follicles uh, in their follicular waves and ovulate more, uh, more eggs per cycle. Um, yeah, you can, yeah. Can do you can do all kinds of different stuff. I I tend to not mess with it, um, and I haven't run across a client yet who's who's been like, oh, I really want you to AI my dose, and then we have to time it. Um, that's that's just what works for me. Maybe I'll find somebody who does a lot of AI and timed AI, and I can get them to come on the podcast and talk about their protocols and what they like to do. Um, and that's, it's mostly like a convenience for the human type thing. Uh, and there's ways you can, you can sink your doughs without doing too, too much work and not having to get all those hormones and like have to do like s- stuff to them. One way to do it is to keep your buck off the property for like in, in, New England to be like send the bucks away in like August and then bring them back when you want your does to start cycling so that'd be like if I want my does to start cycling first week of October I'd bring them back like September 20th and then all of a sudden the does have that stimulation of that stinky buck smell and that visual stimulation of them being there and then they tend to all cycle together that's 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 worked really well in my experience um so yeah time timed ai can be beneficial if like you're new to ai and you have somebody coming to help you and they're not like at your beck and call um like i am for my goats um you can be like okay we're gonna set these does up and we're gonna ai them on saturday afternoon you know that that can be a helpful a helpful thing um, the other thing that, uh, like some hormonal ma- manipulation is often used for is, um, embryo transfer and, and like trying to recover embryos from animals and, um, 
the goal with that is often to get as many viable embryos from a collection as you can because you're doing all this work and then if you're doing like an ovum pickup which is like the surgery to flush those out and pick them up um and uh like it's a lot of work and like money and time and expertise involved in that so you would like to maximize your return of getting the eggs out um so if you're getting the eggs out and then you're gonna this i mean this is this is getting complicated more complicated now than than what i have patience for so i i have less like hands-on experience Basically, if you're looking at ET embryo transfer, like you're looking at either like the dough is stimulated to make a whole bunch of eggs, and then um, she could be bred by a buck live cover if that's the breeding that you would like, or it could be an AI breeding, and then you are going to. Uh, anesthetize her and flush the embryos out of her um, and save them for later usually uh, sometimes the like the recip- the the embryos are flushed and then they go right into recipient does and that could be like okay this you stimulated this doe to have like 10 embryos and she can't maintain all those so you pick them up and you stick them in other does um, probably more common, I don't know if, if in uh, small ruminants it's more common, but the other thing that people do is uh, will flush the does and pick up the eggs rather than the embryos and then do IVF and then take those embryos and either freeze them or put them into recipient does. And that's like a whole, a whole thing that is becoming more common in the cattle industries, in the, in the beef and dairy cattle industries, but is not super common in my experience in the dairy goat industry. I mean, I guess there's like there's advantages to that. I mean, as far as like an embryo transfer, like why would you want to do an embryo transfer? Uh, because you have like you buy an embryo from some herd on the other side of the country, and it's transported, and then you put it in your dough, and it's grown out, and it's that that offspring from that doe is not genetically the offspring of that recip- the recipient doe, the doe who carried and maintained the pregnancy, which is kind of wild. Um, so that's a, it's another way to like completely change the genetics of your your herd kind of quickly. The logistics are kind of wild, like if you wanted that breeding that's that embryo like it's almost like you could just buy that baby when it's on the ground it'd probably be it's probably not going to cost it's probably going to cost more so an, an, an embryo is probably a fancy enough animal that if it's a live kid on the ground it's going to be pretty expensive but also like a frozen embryo you're shipping it from somewhere like that's all kind of a giant pain in the butt um again i don't have tons and tons of experience with et so um it's not quite as exciting to me as as ai 
but maybe I'll find somebody who's more excited about it than me and they can come talk about the benefits um yeah so I think oh this looks like this episode got fairly long um but I think I kind of covered most of the things that I wanted to cover as far as artificial insemination mostly like I said that's like the it's like the most accessible advanced reproductive technique for goats and sheep um I did not talk about lap AI very much but you know that's something like you need your vet for basically um because of anesthesia the benefit of lap AI since I'll just touch on it for a second is like you are putting the semen right in the uterus um you know that's where it is you you know that's the deal um and in sheep that's a that's a benefit because their cervix is difficult to navigate um I think the only other thing I was I meant to talk about for AI was like my like my procedure. I talked about how I do the AMPM rule, and my goal is to get the semen from the tank into the dough as fast as possible. Yeah, I didn't talk about like semen handling, so I'll talk about that a little bit now. Um, my my goal is to get the semen from the tank into the dough, like in five minutes or less so what that looks like is like for me that means I need someone to help me AI and that's my husband (laughs) um so he basically if we're like okay this dough is in heat in the morning we have to AI her tonight after everything else is done all the milking's done whatever we get her up on the stand and he holds her still because like these does they're not really excited about me sticking a speculum in their vagina and like messing around back there like for the most part I mean actually they're they're pretty good they tolerate it Um, but I'm sure it feels real weird if you're a woman um, and you've been to the gynecologist like you probably have some appreciation for this Um, the uh, so He'll he'll hold the dough. I get my speculum. I like glass speculums. I have a couple of Pyrex speculums, which are like by far and away my favorite thing ever. Um, there's people online um, who sell them. If you go to any of like the the Dairy Goat AI groups, or if I think you probably can search it, just like goat glass speculum artificial insemination something like that on google it should come up for me the visualization with a glass speculum is so much better than um with like the plastic one that comes with a lot of your basic ai kits um so that was that was a huge like breakthrough thing for me i was like yay this is the best i can see so much like see everything in here um so my husband's holding the dough i put the speculum in there i put my light in there I also have a light that I like that, like, somebody made. I got the, my glass speculums and uh, my little LED light at the Dairy Goat convention uh, a couple years ago when it was in Austin. And love it. These Those two things, like, try different ones. Uh, try, try different lights. Try different speculums. See what you like and what works for you. Um... So I'll go in there and look at the cervix, look at the mucus. If I think that the dough 
that the timing is right and we should AI the dough, then I will put my the sheath for the AI gun and um, I get them individually wrapped so they're I mean, they're not, like, stamped sterile, but they're very clean. Um, and uh, stick that up in there and start to feed it into the cervix. Um, and when you do that, like, depending on the dough, you may get in, like, a couple of rings. You may get all the way to the uterus. But I'm looking to feel like I got in there enough that I'm comfortable putting semen in there. I'm not looking for an anterior vagina uh, artificial insemination because your conception rates are going to be really low with that and that goes back to that like numbers game that we talked about. The other advantage is like if I look at the dough and I see her cervical os and I, like I see it then I can try and see if I can get see if I can get in there a little bit. Sometimes it might look like you can get in there and then you don't really. And then maybe like there's been times when I've looked at a dough and said, oh no, it's too early or looked at a dough and been like, eh, I'm not sure. And then try to, to introduce the, the, um, the sheath for the AI gun in there and not gotten very far. Um, and then it's a, it's a judgment call of whether I think that it's worth thawing a straw of semen for this at this point. If I get in there and I get all the way to the uterus, I'm like, oh, heck yes, we are going to go get a straw. So then my husband sits there and he has to hold the whole thing. He holds the light. He holds the speculum. He holds the sheath for the AI gun all nice and still for about probably less than three minutes while I run back to the house and find the straw that I want and thaw it. I tend to thaw my straws in cool water. Um, you can, I was taught to thaw straws in like 98.6 degree water, which is a little bit cooler than goat body temperature. Um, but I've had good success, just like, just like cool, cool, lukewarm water. Um, because I'm looking for the semen to not have that temperature shock that um, I mentioned a while ago. Um, the, so the cool water is going to, it's going to definitely be like hundreds of degrees warmer than liquid nitrogen, but then I'm not going to bring the semen up to like 100 degrees and then when I pull it out into the air, it gets cold again and then it goes in the dough and it gets warm again. I'm looking for a smooth gradient of um, temperature change for those cells so they don't have a shock to their little systems. So I put it, I have a little water bath thawing thing that, um, that I've used. The other thing I've done is I had some straws that I didn't realize, um, they didn't, they're old. So they didn't, they didn't have seals on them the way like the newer straws did. On one end, there's like a sealed end and the other end, there's like a little plug that is what the plunges the semen out of the straw. Um, and the other thing, some people, and I've done this too, is just warm the semen like under your armpit to uh, to thaw it. It's really cold if you do that. So, like I tend to use the water bath, um, and then I put it in the water bath, and I run it back to the barn, 
Um, I take it out and make sure it's the right straw that I wanted to use on the dough. And then I snip the little cap off the end and load it onto my gun. And then I feed it into the sheath and push the plunger into the dough. And that's a wrap. So the time from the time that I pull that straw out of the tank, stick it in the water bath, snip it off, wipe the water off of the straw before you snip the end off of it because water is going to uh, also be something that can kill your sperm. Um, the uh, that whole process is like minutes, which is my goal. Um, and then I pull the whole thing out of there and I tend to run it into my microscope and look and see what the, the sperm look like and what they're doing. And um, for bookkeeping purposes, I always print out like the planned pedigree from the ADGA genetics website and tape my straw to it. And then it's time to wait for 21 days and see if the dough comes back into heat. So that's my process with that. And that was, the, I knew I was forgetting something to talk about when I started to wrap it up there. Um, that, I think, really covers all of the things that I wanted to talk about um, for this episode. And I hope it was helpful and useful and maybe a little bit interesting. There's, I'll put some links on the show notes. Um, there's a couple of good groups on Facebook if you're on the Facebook um, Dairy Goat, AI, something or other. There's a couple different groups for for chatting about AI techniques and um, buying and selling stuff and, like, people trading semen and buying semen and selling semen. Like, there's a lot of stuff out there. So that's pretty cool, and you can learn a lot from those groups. I learn stuff. There's people out there who've been AIing way longer than me. Um, and... Uh, it's always interesting. And there's people who've been in the goat world like since before I was born, and they know, they know about these these old dead guys in the tanks and what what they can bring to your herd. So there's a wealth of information out there um, if you take the time to look for it, and it's it's pretty cool. Um, as always, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at goat.cara at gmail.com. And, uh, or you can do the contact tab on the website, which is godoc.com. Uh, and if you have time and you are enjoying the podcast, I get really happy when people leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, if you can rate and review, that'd be awesome. And uh, the other thing that makes me really happy is now when you search GOAT on Apple Podcasts, this podcast actually comes up. So good job everybody on making the only only podcast that's actually about goats Uh, to the best of my knowledge if you know of another one send it my way um but the only podcast about goats now actually comes up in the first few hits when you search goats on apple podcasts so thank you very much for that and i think that's all for now and we'll talk to you next time Meh. <laughs>